Hello and welcome to the 2019 F1 Strategy Report, powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. My name's Michael Laminato and this is Round 1, the Australian Grand Prix. Well, after Barcelona testing looked so positive for Ferrari, the Italian team ended up more than a minute off the lead with the race run by Mercedes and a reinvigorated Valtteri Bottas. But the midfield was closer than ever. So close, in fact, that an errant piece of plastic was enough to change the complexion of the points-paying places. To unpack a fascinating start to the 2019 season, I'm joined by Rob James from F1 podcast Box of Neutrals. Rob, how are you doing? Hello, Michael. I have plenty of questions and hopefully some answers to tell as yeah. well along the way. I was there. That's I've already preempted your first question. Yeah. Oh, good. I don't have any further questions. So. Transcript at FIA.com. <laughs> uh, if only. If only we could be bothered transcribing this. You can find a written reversion at strategyreport.com if you were interested. But the Australian Grand Prix, there's all, we come into this race... With a lot of expectations from pre-season, first of all, and boy, were there a lot of expectations, not all of them met, but also with this slightly downcast expectation that the race itself doesn't always deliver, because it's very difficult to overtake, mostly because last year, I think we had five overtaking manoeuvres, there was like a disaster strategy meeting called at the FIA, they implemented some new technical regulation changes, bit of an overreaction, but... It was interesting to see that all those preseason expectations about Ferrari dominance and Mercedes being on the back foot did not come to pass. Yeah, the preseason testing was we we learnt nothing from that whatsoever. We legitimately arrived <laughs> in Melbourne not knowing what the result could have been. Are Renault going to be that good, or are they going to be that bad, or is Ferrari? Uh, has, do they have the party mode on even mm. with the departure of Kimi Raikkonen? <laughs> um, or is Mercedes Mercedes were seemingly nowhere in mm. in in uh, in preseason testing, uh, all of which, of course, with the benefit of hindsight, now sounds ridiculous, um, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. Uh, we were back to form, but maybe with the wrong driver um, up the front. <laughs> but um, but Melbourne is always that that sort of. It's either a, a dull procession, sort of a, an Australian version of the Monaco Grand Prix. Or it's a bizarre race. And we got a happy medium, I think, this year. Valtteri Bottas, not the man, as you touched on there. Anyone expected to win this race, um, if least because last season, certainly the second half of last season, he was pretty much nowhere. In fact, he didn't even finish in the top three of the championship. I think he finished fifth at the end of the season, which is a bit of an indictment for a man driving what ended up being the fastest mm. car last season. But we'll get on to the result of the race proper in a moment. I do want to set up this season a little bit because there have been some changes on the strategy front. The first one we sort of mentioned, these aerodynamics changes. Theoretically, these changes to the wing and the barge boards and the, the brake ducts should make following easier, which should therefore sort of make passing easier, which might affect strategy in the sense that no longer should teams hopefully be super conservative and not wanting to pass cars after a pit stop so then therefore wanting to do only one pit stop maybe we could see not at australia but more than one stop but we did sort of see the effect in australia i think that cars can follow more easily i don't know how much of it is really scientific or just psychological yeah it's a good it's, point I, I mean yes there was a lot more attempts of overtaking i mean turn three was i guess the place to be if you wanted to attempt a pass. Some drivers more successful than others going mm-hmm. through turn three. Some made it through the gravel trap and others, uh, yeah, decided to take the more conventional route and stay on tarmac, which I think <laughs> is the most logical place to pass a car. Daniel Kvyat, I'm looking mm. at you. Um, 
but, but we had a lot of new drivers as well, a lot of returning drivers, of course, mm. coming back to Formula One. So I'm not sure how much of that overtaken was just a, a case of you know, drivers getting used to new cars, new teams, and new drivers getting used to the sport. I think the real asset test will be as we as we saw last year when we really get into the guts of of the season, how much mm-hmm. of a difference it really makes. To be honest, I don't think it really will make a difference. The wings are wider again, so it's almost like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, we you have a little bit more stability in the front end. You know, we talk, Formula 1 drivers are so sensitive to that aero wash and, and the loss of grip and, and aerodynamic performance when they're following one another, but that's a fundamental trait of aerodynamic cars. I don't think... a the a, a de-spec'd version of the front wings is really going to change that because they're not too dissimilar to what they were maybe, I don't know, six, seven years ago. True. I mean, it's only going back so far. They're only taking some downforce off this particular part. And the downforce has all been recovered anyway. The cars are faster this year than they were last year, despite theoretically losing downforce. You touched on turn three, though. That was the end of a second... or techn- No, that would have been the second DRS zone of the lap, the third being on the back straight, I beg your pardon. There were some moves going into there because the DRS is more powerful again this year because the rear wing has been made bigger. It's more like a parachute now. I think Nico <laughs> Hulkenberg referred to it in testing, especially for the Renault. It fell off in testing. Yes. So, you know, it was pretty significant. So that helped a little bit. But the main thing that will have an effect on strategy, we talk a lot about tyres. Of course, we are a little bit guilty of doing that here. But hey, <laughs> tyres is the principal strategic element of racing at this point in time in Formula One. But tyres have changed this year. They're... The compounds are not so different, except the tread's a little bit thinner, which will help with blistering and things like that. But principally, the naming convention is different. That's something we will get used to on this program. But it's hard, medium, soft, wherever you go. But the actual compounds referred to as C5 or 4 or whatever number. In Australia, it was C4, C3 and C2, if you're interested. Uh, but it's all about giving drivers some harder tyres because last year there were complaints, unusual for Pirelli, I know, that the tyres were too soft. Yeah, uh, I think the, the, the C1 to 5 structure and then the hard, medium, soft compounds, the happy medium for the casual observer mm. and the anoraks of Formula 1. So mm-hmm. there's enough sort of scientific boffinry uh, between the complicated names, uh, but you can still tell, you know, you, people were asking, oh, so hang on, is the soft tire the soft? Where's the ultra soft? It's like, no, the soft is the softest. Mm. It's the most logical solution. So if you want to know, do your own research. <laughs> Look it up yourself. That. But... I think, yeah, the, the, the most, in recent times, the biggest complaint is really, you know, the tyres go off the cliff far too early. Um, they're almost like a support category tyre in terms, you know, that lasts only eight laps, and mm-hmm. but they have to do 50, what, seven or eight laps or something mm-hmm. like that around Albert Park. So, um, and, and, and Melbourne as well, it's not a, even though it is a street circuit, it's like, I don't know. How do I? I described it as like a beautifully curated pitch at the MCD <laughs> during the cricket season in Australia. It, it, it is absolutely smooth and perfect, and you could be easily forgiven for thinking it's a permanent track because of just the nature of the way the track flows and the barriers and just the surface. It's just so smooth. And there's talk about, I think, a resurface perhaps for next season um, in Melbourne and perhaps even reprofiling some of the corners um, mm. over there. But so uh, tyres has never been an issue around Melbourne. So again, it, it's not the place to be the real litmus test of how tyres are going to go. Again, we need a few more races to see how that goes down. But I think Formula 1 drivers want 
a harder tyre so they can push for longer. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that will be a good thing for, for Formula 1 get into this season. Yeah, because as we saw last year, even though the softer tyres theoretically should have made for two-stop races, yeah. the drivers just went slower to make it hey, a one-stop anyway. The Canadian Grand Prix in 2007 was a very long time ago, <laughs> which started this whole farcical trend of, of super soft tyres. Uh, Those times aren't coming back. No, it's long gone. That ship has sailed. Yeah, alas. So this is what we're... Uh, we have for this season. The combination should, in theory, produce races that are a little bit more flat out, a little bit more uh, overtaking, and that might play into strategy because following should be easier, the tyre should be able to go last longer, uh, and, of course, there's a bit more uh, DRS effect as well, which might help on some circuits, as it did a little bit in Albert Park. Valtteri Bottas didn't need the DRS, so uh, he was straight into the lead on the first lap without the aid of DRS, a sizzling start. Uh, to overcome the pole sitter, Lewis Hamilton won that race. No strategy required other than simply being fast enough to not have to worry about anyone else. But the decisive factor in the sense that Bottas got the lead on the first lap was that it forced Lewis Hamilton in a defensive position. Partly his car was damaged, as Mercedes revealed afterwards, which is why it wasn't quite as fast as Valtteri Bottas. But it meant that Sebastian Vettel tried to challenge him at the point of the race where Ferrari still thought its car was kind of fast. Turned out it wasn't fast at all, finished a minute off the lead. But Sebastian Vettel tried an undercut on lap 14. But it was pretty ambitious. Like, four seconds behind is not really not really undercut length. I mean, this is very much... And Sebastian Vettel sort of alluded to it afterwards, the idea that you know, Lewis Hamilton was a bit unhappy after losing, losing the lead. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a psychological warfare, isn't it? Trying to hope that someone will make a mistake more than actually hoping that the undercut will work. Yeah, and on that front, Valtteri Bottas psychologically seemed a very different person to when he mm. finished the 2018 season, which was, I think, one commenter on Formula 1 was saying, I like this all-new Valtteri Bottas, <laughs> this all-swearing and mm. winning. I think... There was maybe one, I can't recall which race it was, but there was maybe one race last year, which he didn't win in the end because of some problem mm-hmm. or team orders got in the way, where he dominated a race. Mm. Whereas I think this was the first time Valtteri Bottas has won a race by more than three seconds. Yes, that's he right. He won by, what, over over 20 Yeah, over it, was tw- it was about 20 seconds. Absolutely smashed him. And, and even just observing... The car in qualifying. I mean, I'm no, I'm not these one of these people that sort of stands on a curb and goes, "Oh, you yeah, know, that car's a lot more visible." It was definitely more visible that Valtteri Bottas mm. was. I don't know what it was, but there was just a real aggression in which the, the the way the car moved, the way it sounded, believe it or not, and just the whole attitude. You could just go, mm. there, "There is something electric." about this car it was unbelievable it was a pleasure to watch he was very switched on this weekend and at albert park so contrasting lewis hamilton was forced into a defensive position to sebastian vettel track position is so important so for valtteri bottas to, to to jump into the lead there have clear air and all the benefits that come from it that means so much because once you're in that leading position unless a car is substantially faster than yours is which for valtteri bottas there was none on the mm. weekend you essentially cannot be challenged on a race circuit like this. So that is what decided his race. The battle for the podium was a little bit more complicated. Lewis Hamilton did finish second, but Sebastian Vettel couldn't finish third. Third place was Max Verstappen, Honda's first podium of the turbo hybrid era, Honda's first podium since 2008. This would be good pub trivia. Who was the last Honda podium in 2008? You're good with trivia. I think I know it. I think it was the British Grand Prix 2008 with Rubens Barrichello. Got it in one. Oh, <laughs> well done. Very, very good. That's good. We should have a trivia segment on this show every week, I reckon. Uh, he scored Honda's first podium, and he did so because he wasn't drawn into that 
undercut attempt by Sebastian Vettel. So when Vettel came in on lap 14, Lewis Hamilton was forced to cover him the following lap, but Max Verstappen, further behind, decided to run his own race. So he ran the typical uh, first stint that should have been done. He got to lap 25, Pirelli estimated roughly lap 21 or so if you're going to start on the used soft tyre. He got to lap 25, which meant he had a pretty healthy final stint on the medium tyre, had no trouble passing Vettel after that. Mm. Uh, so much so that you you could be forgiven for wondering if the Ferrari had a problem. And it had some kind of problem, not a mechanical one, purely that it was slow and they didn't know why. But it showed that you know that compromise strategy was like lap 14 is quite early compared to lap 21, it still pays dividends. I think that there were a lot of disappointments set up for the weekend, Williams being one of them perhaps, mm. uh, I guess... Unfortunately, Dan Ricciardo on his home soil was perhaps another disappointment in terms of scoring a DNF. I would argue Ferrari was the biggest disappointment of the weekend, only because of how strong they seemed in pre-season mm. testing and the and the form that they've had at this circuit. For whatever reason, Alba Park and Ferrari seems to go hand in hand in different generations of Formula yeah. 1 in the V10, V8, and, and now the current turbo hybrid era. Um, for them, that was a massive disappointment over the way I'm not sure why and I don't think they know why mm. they're probably going to just pretend that never happened <laughs> and carry on um but yeah for them to not even be on the podium and for the Red Bull Honda the Red Bull Honda was from for mine the standout performance mm. apart from of course Valtteri Bottas best of the rest because we yeah. know Mercedes are going to wipe the floor of this year's championship <laughs> that's that's a given let's not beat around the bush Michael it's gone <laughs> It's just whether it's Hamilton or Bottas. And to be honest, it's probably still in Hamilton's hands at the moment. But nonetheless, uh, yeah, for, for, for Red Bull to, to get that podium, I think it surprised a lot of people, perhaps even themselves. Maybe a little bit because they were so strong. And comparing it to Ferrari, so Red Bull Racing was perfectly happy to do its own race. Ferrari, as we said, gambled Sebastian Vettel's position in some respects. Maybe they didn't expect Red Bull Racing to be so quick, so they overplayed their hand a little bit. But doesn't that just speak to the confidence Ferrari had at that point? Because it didn't wasn't obvious quite how slow they were in race pace at the time. They, you know, they knew obviously in one lap pace after qualifying they were far back. But Sebastian Vettel after qualifying, you know, he said in the press conference, ah, he felt pretty confident that on Sunday he could really take the fight to them. There was so much confidence in the Ferrari game and it, they just absolutely came up with nothing. We heard that pit radio conversation when Sebastian Vettel asked, why are we so slow? And the mechanic mm. said, I don't know. No, we don't know yet. It, it's that's that's such a decisive factor in strategy when you know you've got to rely on the information you have, whether it's preseason or practice or, or testing or whatever it is. And they seem to have confidence in the numbers, and it's so strange that we see nothing shows up after that. That's that's, that's quite telling because we've last few seasons we've been quite critical on on our program in terms of Ferrari behind the pit wall. It seemed like last year they got their their act together. Um, unfortunately, Sebastian Vettel destroyed all of that <laughs> Quite literally. By, by his driving, losing a multitude of points last year. But yeah, it would be, be interesting to see if that if we have a repeat performance of that a couple of times this season behind the pit wall. Mm, and Old we'll habits creeping in. Yeah, exactly. Whether the new team principle changes anything remains to be seen. So that decided the top five. Max Verstappen filled the final podium space. Uh, Sebastian Middle was fourth. We'll touch on briefly Charles Leclerc in fifth. 
He had a slightly different strategy because he switched not onto the medium tyre for his second stint, but onto the hard, which seemed to me turned out to be the preferred tyre because of the temperature, perhaps. It was 44-degree track temperature. It was pretty warm for mm. Melbourne. Yeah. Uh, it was 28 degrees, I think, on the day, and the sun was out, and that pushed things a little bit more towards the hard tyre. Had great pace at the end, so much so, he probably should have finished ahead of Sebastian Vettel were it not for him asking whether he should pass him or not. Yeah, seek forgiveness, not permission, is the yeah. policy in my life. But uh, it would have been interesting if Charles Leclerc were let off the leash. I, In my own personal predictions, I had him down for a potential podium finish, if not a race win even. It wasn't out of the realm of possibility for mine. Mm. So that that that's a good myth, I think, for Charles Leclerc to have. What if he were really let off the leash? Could he have got Verstappen off that podium and, and made a, his podium debut in Formula 1. It's going to be a matter of time. You'd think so. But what do you make of this approach? Now, we know Leclerc is there as something of an apprentice, right? And Mattia Bonotto, the Ferrari principal, already said in the preseason that you know we'll probably favour Sebastian Vettel earlier in the year in the situations that require it. Suddenly, this situation required it for some reason because they made the team order call, even though they were asked by the driver. Is it not a little bit unusual, though? You know, as a young driver, wouldn't you want to go into that race and have a little bit of a go first before you then let the team intervene and say, ah, oh, you should hold station or whatever. Mm. Well, did it surprise you a little bit that he didn't even bother trying and just went straight for the, do I have permission to have a crack? Well, he's playing the long game, Charles Leclerc. I think, I think it's good that he understands his place at Ferrari. I think he understands it, but I think he also knows he has the power to also change that. And that doesn't happen after one race because mm-hmm. he could easily have whizzed past Sebastian Vettel and spun, and then the team would have gone, see, we told you so. Yeah, <laughs> you got too eager there, and, and then he just looped it and looked like an idiot. Um, so for for him, he has to play that waiting game, and I think his time will come, whether it comes this year or next year or the year after that, or whenever Sebastian Vettel moves on from Ferrari is another question, but it's, it's, it's soon. It's soon. If he has a few more good performances, watch that space. I reckon my prediction of... Him kicking Sebastian Vettel's butt in 2019 may be reality. It'll be very interesting to watch. Uh, so they were the front runners. Uh, that's the way it panned out for them. Pierre Gasly finished further down. We'll talk about him in a moment, but that's because he qualified quite poorly uh, due to just a miscalculation in qualifying with the timing, the cutoff time that they expected to make it through to Q2. But I want to talk about the midfield because the midfield was decided purely on a single strategy call on lap 12, executed by Alfa Romeo, technically a new team this season, uh, and Kimi Raikkonen. It seemed like he was going for an ambitious undercut uh, of Nico Hulkenberg and Kevin Magnussen ahead of him on lap 12. So we talked about Sebastian Vettel being ambitious on lap 14. Raikkonen went on lap 12. Uh, and it was enough to cause Hulkenberg to cover him on the next lap and then Magnussen to do the same on the following lap. But this was no strategy. This was purely because Kimi Raikkonen tore off a helmet visor and it fell into his brake ducts and started overheating his brakes. This was a precautionary pit stop to clean the brake duct and it completely unraveled the midfield fight, had such far-reaching repercussions that it changed the complexion of the midfield battle all over a piece of plastic he dropped into the Mm. brake duct. Sounds like the global financial crisis about 10 years ago. (laughs) Takes one bad move and it stuffs up the the race for everyone. What was that time someone dropped like a a baguette in the Hadron Collider or something? A bird dropped a piece of bread? We've lost the the entire Northern Hemisphere. Great to avoid. Uh, No, so yeah, remarkably that, that midfield fight is 
I don't remember a time in recent Formula One memory where it's been seemingly that close. We have the mice of Renault as a car manufacturer on the way up, supposedly, mm-hmm. so they Hopefully. say. Yep. Um, and so they should. Uh, <laughs> you have, uh, I guess, Racing Point with Lance Stroll, who, may I say, did not disappoint. Mm. He actually did, did a lot better than a lot of people perhaps thought or gave him credit for. And even from this weekend, I, th- I think he was a little bit of a quiet achiever. So that was good to see that he is actually capable. But whether, you know, time will tell. On that front, the Alfa Romeos were also very good mm-hmm. as well. Um, so there's no such thing as a bad team, except for Williams. <laughs> uh, McLaren got into the top 10 in qualifying. So, you know, there were a lot of positives, apart from Williams. <laughs> that's true. They play an old sack. That's, Everything sucks. That's the, that's the Livery most... Sucks. Re- <laughs> the drivers are good. The drivers are good, but everything else is not good. What's Rocket? I don't know. Yeah. What, what, what do they do? <laughs> So it feels like, you know, Rocket honestly sounds like an MP3 player you bought in the early 2000s. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know what it is. That's the most mention I think Williams is going to get in this podcast, unfortunately, because not a lot happened over there. Just to explain how wide-ranging Kimi Raikkonen's accidental strategic <laughs> pit stop uh, moved. So we already know Hulkenberg and Magnussen pit. Uh, following in Raikkonen was Sergio Perez, who was trying to uh, jump Alex Albon and Lando Norris. Lando Norris qualified eighth. Very good, uh, Mm. impressive first round for him for McLaren, even though it was for McLaren. It was a good job. And they did the same. They pitted on all roughly the same laps. The problem was they all got stuck behind Antonio Giovinazzi, Uh, the Alfa Romeo. Described as the truly train on social media. It's about time we got an Italian back in Formula 1, wasn't it? He was slow, apparently had some damage to his car, but he was slow. Eventually, Magnussen, Hulkenberg and Raikkonen, perhaps eased slightly by the fact that Raikkonen had to get through and he was his teammate, moved past. But Lando Norris was at the head of this train of the second lot of three cars that pitted early. And whether it's because Norris is a little bit young, maybe lacks a a tiny bit of experience, but I I hesitate to down-talk his ability because obviously he showed quite a great deal this weekend, couldn't get past... The truly train of Antonio Giovinazzi, to use a phrase. In the space of only a, a couple of laps, between laps 19 and lap 26, from going from right behind Kimi Raikkonen and in that battle for the minor points paying places, uh, they lost uh, nine seconds. They dropped to 11 or 12 seconds when they eventually got past Giovinazzi and he pitted. Not only did that put them out of touch of that battle, because that was, there was only one pit stop, and once you've sort of used your tyres in that situation, that's it. But it created enough of a gap that Lance Stroll, Daniel Kvyat, and Pierre Gasly all dropped into it. They all started on the medium tyre you know, on a contra strategy because they started outside the top 10, slipped into that gap, and dropped all of those drivers out of the points, all because Kimi Raikkonen dropped a visor into his brake duct. When, when, when the Formula 1 review comes out at the end of this year, <laughs> I cannot wait for the, the, the farcical... I, actually, I hope the Netflix documentary that comes out... <laughs> Follow Sauber and Kimi Raikkonen this yeah. year, and Raikkonen will—he will not care. No, that, that he's affected he this many. He, he has—he has—he has no soul. He has no empathy <laughs> for what he's caused. And I don't think he actually knows the repercussions of of, of his actions. But, he scored four points. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's amazing how these cars are—you know—the such scientific engineering genius that goes into doing mm. them, and something so innocuous and nay clumsy. 
Yeah. Just ruins the race for so many people. It is sometimes surprising because drivers, for those who don't know, have these visor tear-offs on their visors, yeah. obviously. They used to go in like the engine, uh, yeah. sort of the, the air intake in, in past years. It happens years. all the time because they have multiple on the visors because, you know, they get dirty, insects fly into you and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it is almost surprising that considering how many are thrown off over the course of a race, this doesn't happen more often. You hear maybe once or twice a year something like this yeah. happening. But yeah, it's surprising none of them ever find their way into the airbox anymore because there's actually, I can't remember who did it in the last couple of years, sort of explained afterwards that they're almost quite elaborate ways they have to throw them out of the car so that they're pushed away by the wake of the car and don't do something like this where you, the whole complexion of the race changes. So an interesting and weird byproduct there that decided the midfield fight. So it was uh, Kimi Raikkonen who finished behind Nico Hulkenberg and Kevin Magnussen in the end. So that was 8th, 7th and 6th. Uh, so essentially the order in which they qualified except for Hulkenberg rather he had a really great start he started 11th and that put him back into that fight and then Lance Stroll and Daniel Kvyat Kvyat on his return scored a point uh, and Pierre Gasly got up to 11th after starting quite far back I do want to talk uh, though before we wrap this up not about Williams we've talked enough about them but uh, a little bit of what could become quite a strategic play especially if the championship were to be close towards the end of the season and it's a new rule about the fa- the point for the fastest lap uh, a lot of drivers were fairly indifferent about this in the lead up to the race saying oh you know what's it really going to change what's it really going to do only awarded if the fastest lap is in the top 10 I should say because were it awarded for the bottom 10, you could easily envisage a situation where cars that are not going to score points, they all pit on the last lap and have a go, as Fernando Alonso did a couple of times, I think, in the last couple of years. I wouldn't have minded that, to be honest. It would have been interesting. It would have been properly chaotic. But despite drivers being a little bit indifferent about it, in the last five or 10 laps when the order was settled, a whole bunch of them, from Ferrari, Red Bull Racing, Mercedes, all wanted to set this fastest lap. We heard a conversation of Valtteri Bottas. His engineer's telling him to stop going so fast because he was risking the lead he'd built up. They didn't want to make a mistake, and he still got it in the end. Max Verstappen had to go once. Ferrari thought about it, um, but there wasn't enough life in that, that slow car at the end of it. This could have potential for really playing a part later in the season. Yeah, I heard the crowd cheering when Valtteri Bottas finally got the fastest lap, I think, with maybe two laps to spare, Mm. which is remarkable given the the distance of that race and the concentration required. And and also the, the, the fact that, and I think it was telling of how at one Valtteri Bottas was with the car, mm. the track, the tyres, himself, everything was perfect that weekend. Um, and the fact that he thought, yeah, no, there's more in the tank left. I reckon mm. I can do this. Yeah, and it does go to show as well that the tyres the Pirelli have brought are working because of the fact this was set, I think, on the penultimate yeah. lap. Obviously, your fuel is lightest at that point, so that helps. But the tyres, and yes, of course, it helps Valtteri Bottas was in the lead and was never defending or anything, mm. but tyres had enough life in them to be pushed towards the end, which does mean... You know, in a situation where there are closer battles, the tyres can be pushed harder. That's good to see. What was interesting, though, uh, was that there were two drivers at the the very front who had room to make essentially a free pit stop. Bottas was one of them, and uh, Charles Leclerc was another, racing in fifth at the time. Theoretically, either of them could have made a pit stop on the third last lap, let's say, fitted a new set of tyres, and would have fairly easily scored the fastest lap. But both teams opted against doing this, despite the extra point on offer, because they wanted to, they, they emphasized that a pit stop is a risk, especially mm. if you have, you know, Valtteri Bottas, he only had 20 odd seconds at the time. It was mm. reduced to 20 seconds by the end. Something goes wrong, could have fallen behind Hamilton. Mm. Leclerc, the same, slow pit stop. You know, maybe he could have been caught by Kevin Magnussen behind him, though it was quite far away. It is a risk to take a pit stop. And I suppose to sum this all up, 
You only have to look at Romain Grosjean at Haas to remember that it is a pit stop, is a risk. I'm just going to remark on that. Haas is, there was a lot of cameras were very fixed on those mechanics. Mm-hmm. I think there might have been about five cameras focusing on that <laughs> Haas pit stop to get every single angle just in case something went wrong. And sure enough, lightning struck a third time in that Haas pit bay, which was remarkable. Uh, but no, that's exactly right. It's not only the risk in terms of the pit stops, but also the drivers too. I mean, mm. how ridiculous. And this will happen at some point where a driver in the lead of a race is going to go, oh, you know what? I'm going to go for one more point here <laughs> so I can get 26 points to my mm. name. And they will spin and crash. Yeah, a momentary loss of yep. concentration is all that it takes. But I can't wait to see if that temptation becomes too strong, if it, there's a championship on the line when every point counts towards mm. the end of the year. Certainly, we hope we get into a situation where the championship is that close. I reckon we need more sort of novelty bonus points. <laughs> I don't know what else, but I, I, I think I like this concept. I think you need to find some kind of point in the middle of a race. Or maybe we need like a wild card finishing position. Mm. You get like, you know, three points for finishing eighth. just putting it out there why not it's worth four at the moment so you could if you can if you are so skilled that you can get your plastic terrifiers into a brake duct into someone else's brake duct someone else's someone else's that's about I think 12 points I reckon you get into your own six yeah you get bonus points absolutely I enjoyed the Australian Grand Prix I thought it was a bit of fun it wasn't an all time classic but certainly set us up for what I think is going to be a pretty exciting season or I hope so otherwise this will sound really (laughs) stupid in a couple of weeks time it was a pleasure to look back at with you Rob cool thank you Michael That was Rob James from F1 podcast, Box of Neutrals. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. And you can download the 2019 edition of Apex Race Manager for free for iOS and Android devices. And don't forget, you can download every episode of the Strategy Report by subscribing on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on your favorite podcasting app. And don't forget, you can leave a review to help other F1 fans find the show. You can also read the written report at f1strategyreport.com and stay up to date by finding us on Facebook and on Twitter. I've been Michael Laminato. Look me up at Michael Laminato on Twitter, and I'll catch you in two weeks' time for an analysis of the Bahrain Grand Prix.